Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the 17th chapter, beginning at the 10th verse. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us at this hour by means of the radio. I need not tell you that this is a beautiful day, even though it may be on the cool side, but I hope that all of us are happy to be alive, that we thank God for the fact that he has given us life and that we have the privilege in this hour to get together either here in church or by means of the radio and to worship him. You have heard me say that today is the second Sunday after Trinity. Now the text that I just read, it tells the story of Paul's visit to Berea over in Macedonia. You remember that when Paul and his party were on their second missionary journey, they came to the ancient city of Troy in Asia Minor, or what is now Turkey. And it was there that Paul had the Macedonian call, you remember, come over into Macedonia and help us. Well, Paul and his party then, they took a boat, they crossed the Aegean Sea, they landed on the continent of Europe, and then they went northward into Macedonia, and they landed in Philippi. There Paul preached Jesus Christ, and he was able to assemble a small Christian congregation there. Then trouble arose, there were those who disputed with him, and so it was thought best that they leave Philippi, and they traveled westward, and they came to the city of Thessalonica. There Paul also, with his missionary party, established a Christian congregation. And when trouble arose and there were the rabble-rousers, it was thought best to leave Thessalonica and to go on preaching the gospel. It was then that Paul and his party traveled about 60 miles southwest from Thessalonica and they came to the city of Berea. And we are told here, as Luke gives us the account, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, he tells us that when Paul and Silas came to Berea, they went into the synagogue. This was always Paul's line of action as regards missionary endeavor, to go to the synagogue, to find his own brethren first, and to tell them about Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us that the Bereans were much more noble than were the people in Thessalonica. Noble in this, that they had an open mind, and they were eager to hear the words that Paul and Silas preached. Now we are told that when Paul and Silas were in the synagogue and they preached to the people there that they were glad to hear but we are also told that they first took their scriptures and they searched the scriptures and they checked and they double checked 
to see whether what Paul was saying to them and Silas about religious things, whether those things were really true, whether those things were so, whether those things were fact, or whether they were fiction. And so as you and I think of the noble Bereans this morning, let's know this, that while they had an eagerness to hear the word that was preached, nevertheless, they were not credulous individuals. They were not naive. They were not individuals who, again, were just simple-minded, allowing men to pull the wool over their eyes as regards religious things. These Bereans were individuals that when they heard something in the name of religion, something that had to do with spiritual things, they searched and they checked and they double-checked with the Scriptures to find out, are these things true or are they not true? Are they so or are they not? Are these things fact or are they fiction? And the Breans, as it were, from the Word of God, they speak to you and me in this 20th century this morning, and God knows you and I need it. And they say to you and to me, as regards religious things, as regards spiritual things, and we're hearing everything today, are we not? And they're calling to you and me and saying, listen, don't be credulous in spiritual things. Don't you be naive. Don't you be uh, pushovers. Don't you let anybody think that, oh, you're just an easy mark. Don't you let anybody pull the wool over your eyes as though you're stupid. Whenever spiritual things are given to you, you search the scriptures, you check and you double check, and you see whether these things that you are hearing, whether they are true or whether they are not true. And you know, that may present a difficulty in your life and mine. We may say to ourselves, why should I make sure that I'm not going to be credulous why should I be sure that nobody's going to pull the wool over my eyes in spiritual things and I am to check and double-check the Scriptures? We may say, what's so important about going to the Scriptures? Why should I check and double-check and consult the Scriptures to find out whether religious things that I am hearing, whether they're true or whether they're not true? We may say, what's wrong with my deciding for myself? Whether I think it's true or whether I think it's not true, why can't I decide what's so all-fired important about turning to the Scriptures? The noble Boreans, they checked and double-checked with the Scriptures. And today, as the Boreans would call to you and me in this hodgepodge of a religious menagerie in our world, saying, don't you be credulous, don't you be stupid in spiritual things, don't you let anybody pull the wool over your eyes, you search the Scriptures, you check and double-check, because they would assure you and me it is of vital importance, it is of the greatest necessity that you and I do what they did, and that is search the Scriptures and check and double-check, because they would remind you and me that the Scriptures are no less than God's words. The Scriptures are the words of God. The Scriptures, they would remind you and me, they had their origin in heaven. They are God's words to you and me. And this is why they would say, don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. You search and you check and you double-check the Scriptures because they are beyond question. They are beyond the shadow of a doubt. God's words. They have their origin in heaven. They are words that God has given to us. You know, that's a quite a question today and quite a problem. We may say, are the Scriptures the words of God? Do the Scriptures have their origin in heaven? Was this not something perhaps that the Bereans just liked to believe? This is what made them noble. Were they not in that very thing being rather naive? Are the Scriptures God's words? 
Was this conviction of theirs based on fact? And the Bereans would remind you and me today, don't let anybody go ahead and play you for a sucker. Don't let anybody make you a stupid individual. When they come to you with religious things, you check and double-check the Scriptures. The Scriptures are no less than God's words because in the first place, the Bereans, these noble individuals, remind you and me that after all, the Scriptures are God's words even though they were written by men. Had you and I been in Bree at this occasion, we would have said to the Breans when they took their scriptures, how can you believe that these scriptures are God's words? How can you believe that these words came out of heaven when men wrote them? And if we would have asked the Breans, didn't men write your scriptures? And they would have said yes. They would have said Moses was one of the writers. There was David who wrote some of our scriptures. There was Solomon, and there was Isaiah, and there was Jeremiah, and there was Ezekiel, and there was Daniel, and there was Samuel. They would have named the number. Then we would say to them, but how can you Bereans, how can you be again so naive that you will believe that your scriptures, even though written by men, that they are God's words? And it wouldn't take them long to tell us. They would say the men who wrote our scriptures, they acknowledge and give us the evidence in their writings that what they wrote is what God wanted them to write. These men, they would tell us, they have said, Thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. And when you and I turn to the Old Testament, this is what they had. Here was the conviction of those that had it. God said these things and men wrote them down. And because God put his spirit into men who wrote the scriptures and that God superintended them and watched over the very words that they used and the vocabulary that they had, therefore the Bereans had this conviction, these are God's words. They had 39 books in their canon. We say, who gathered them together? As far as we know, it was Ezra the priest. After the Babylonian exile, when he came back to Jerusalem in about the year 400 B.C., when Ezra the priest gathered these sacred writings and said, these are the words of God that God has given us through men. They had Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, Judges, Ruth, to books of Samuel, to books of Kings, to books of Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah and Malachi. That was their canon. And they knew by internal evidence that God had given and how about the New Testament? When you and I turn to them, we say, well, didn't men write the Scriptures? Sure they did. Well, what does Paul say about this writing, however? He said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Paul says something very peculiar and singular happened when God gave the Scriptures. God's Holy Spirit came into men and superintended their writing so that what they wrote was the Word of God that God watched over every word, and they used their own vocabularies. How this was done, we do not know. But that what they wrote was the word of God without error. And in the New Testament, written by inspiration of God, we say that the scriptures are no less than God's words, yes, written by men, but superintended by the Holy Spirit. And we look to our New Testament, and by the end of the first century, there was gathered these books saying, here is God's inspired word. And we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, 
in First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, Jude, and Revelation. Sixty-six of them, and the church says these are the inspired scriptures written by God. And because the Bereans, they searched the scriptures and they said, don't you be naive. Don't you let anybody pull the wool over your eyes in this maze of all religious things that are coming. Search the scriptures and check them, double check. They are God's word. This was their conviction. And when you and I realize that the scriptures are God's word, we've got to check and double check because only then can you and I know that the religious things which we believe and hold dear, that they are truly God's words and that they will stand and they will stand eternally. Otherwise, you and I don't have that kind of conviction. What are the convictions you and I hold in religious things? Have we checked and double-checked on the basis of the scriptures? Here is the word of God. If when we check and double-check, they don't jive, then you and I must say that our entire destiny is being based on something that isn't true. It's being based on something that isn't factual. Here are the words of God. And when you and I look out to eternity, if there's going to be any assurance that the religious things that we hold are true, that they are absolutely certain, and that we, we can stake our eternal destiny on them, it's got to be that they are based on the eternal word of God, the scriptures, because God gave them by inspiration, and therefore you and I can stand. Otherwise, if it's going to be ourselves deciding, then it may be only myth. It may be only fairy tales. It may be only things that are not true. And God pity you and me if we stand on the judgment day and you and I have based our hope on something that is not true, on something that is fanciful. Noble, noble Bereans. Let me tell you, they were eager to hear the word when Paul and Silas preached, but they were no ignoramuses. They didn't stand there and swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. They didn't stand there as naive and say you can easily pull the wool over our eyes, we're stupid, oh no. They searched the scriptures, they checked and they double-checked to see whether what Paul and Silas were saying, whether those things really jibe with the scriptures. And today in our 20th century hodgepodge, and it's a menagerie as far as religion is concerned, we may say to ourselves, what do you believe? And the noble brains say, listen, don't let anybody hogwash you. Don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. You search the scriptures and you check and double check because the scriptures are no less than God's words. They had their origin in heaven. They are from God himself. And you and I say, are they? Are they really? And the Brians would remind us of this, that the scriptures are God's words in the second place because they reveal to us the story of Jesus Christ. How can you and I be certain that scriptures that men have written, that these are the words of God? When you and I turn, there's something in this book, there's something in this compilation of books, this collection of writings that you find nowhere else in all the world. There is a tremendous story here that must have come out of heaven because it's so unique. It's the story about one whom we call Jesus Christ. It's the story of a Messiah. It's the story of a Savior. And those Bereans with all their hearts, they knew this, that when they checked and double-checked the Scriptures, these were God's words because God had revealed something to them that was tremendous. It was the story of Jesus Christ. 
I would have liked to have been in Berea when Paul and Silas were preaching. And above all, Paul and Silas came to tell them about Jesus Christ, to tell them about the Savior. And when Paul evidently got up and would say, I want you to know that the Messiah that has been promised our people, that God promised for 4,000 years he came. And then they searched the scriptures, and I can imagine them saying, Wait a minute, Paul. This Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth that you're telling us about, you say he is the promised Messiah. Was he a human being? And then they would go back to Genesis, where in Genesis 3.15, God, when he spoke to Adam and Eve, and when he spoke to Satan, and he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He would be the seed of the woman. And when again uh, Peter got up and as he would preach in his Paul in his day, especially Paul here at Berea, saying that this Jesus, he was from the seed of Abraham, you can imagine the Bereans saying, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute, Silas. Was this man from the seed of Abraham? Was he of our nation? And again, they would turn to the word of God where God had said to Abraham, Abraham, in you and in your seed, Messiah would be your seed. They would say, was he from the tribe of Judah? Our scriptures say that when Messiah would come, he would be from the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver. And they would say, when Paul would say something about the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth, they would say, was he from the family of David? They would search the scriptures. Our Old Testament says that God would give him the throne of his father David. And Paul could say, yes, on Mary's side, he was from the family of David, even on his father's side, who was not his real father. Legally, though, he was also from the family of David. And they would say, was he God's son? Was he born of the virgin? And they would look in the Bible and they would say, Isaiah says, that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Paul could say, as they search, your scripture says he would be no less than Emmanuel. He would be God in human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. They checked them, they double-checked. And then again they would say, you mean to say that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that our scriptures revealed, that God has made known to us? Did he suffer and die for our sins? And they would look in the word of God and go to Isaiah 53, for Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. When the Bereans checked, they said, Isaiah said that he would be our substitute. He would be the one as a sheep that would be led to the slaughter. He would bear our guilt and our punishment. And Paul would say, this is the Messiah that I'm telling you about. You go ahead and check and double check in the scriptures and you'll find out this is the one that I'm speaking of. And then they would say to him when Paul would say he arose from the dead. You can imagine the Bereans looking at their Old Testament saying, wait a minute, does the Bible say, do the scriptures say that this Messiah would rise from the dead? And they would find in their scriptures that David said, Thou wilt not abandon my soul unto hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The holy one shall not see corruption. His body shall not see putrefaction. Why? He would rise again. And they checked and they double-checked. Will this Jesus ascend into heaven when Paul said he went back to heaven? Didn't David say in the Old Testament, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And Paul could say, He's seated at the right hand of God. Is he coming back again? They checked their scriptures. 
The scriptures that reveal Jesus, Palachi says, there will be that great and terrible day of the Lord. He's coming back. And when the Bereans, when the Bereans who were anxious to hear the word, when they checked and double-checked and they said, Paul and Silas, you're not going to make fools out of us. You're not going to make us look stupid. We're going to check and double-check on the basis of scriptures. They did it because to them the scriptures were no less than God's words because they revealed from heaven the great message of Jesus Christ and everything that Paul preached, it dovetailed with the scriptures. These are God's words. And when the Bereans, the noble Bereans say to you and me, listen Christians, don't let everybody fool you and don't let them play you for a sucker and don't let them play you for somebody that's stupid and naive. You be sure of this, that when things come to you in the name of religion, and they come to you in the name of spirits of things, you search the scriptures, you check and you double check, because only then can you and I have this assurance, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we are putting our faith and trust in him who really was the Savior. He was not an imposter, he was not a fake, he was not a sham, and that he has deliverance from hell and the gift of eternal life to give you and me. What a horrible thing it would be if you and I, on the basis of Jesus Christ, wouldn't judge him and question it on the basis of Scripture. Today there are those that are denying the virgin birth. There are those in the church denying his deity. There are those that deny him the great salvation that he wrought for us on Calvary. And men can decide for themselves. Can you imagine anything more horrible than for you and me to put our faith in a trust in a Christ who was not God, who was not born of the Virgin Mary without sin, who did not atone for our sins on Calvary, who doesn't have life and eternal salvation to give, wouldn't it be tragedy on the day of judgment to stand before the Christ that you and I didn't know because we didn't search the scriptures and somebody pulled the wool over our eyes? Noble Bereans. Well, they were anxious to hear the word, but let me tell you this. Paul and Silas didn't get away with the thing. Whenever they got up and preached in the synagogue, they took their scriptures and they searched the scriptures, they consulted the scriptures, they checked and they double-checked. Is what these men are saying, is this true, is this fact, or is this fancy? Is it so, or isn't it? In order that you and I, again, can have the assurance, we're going to have to say to ourselves, in all the maelstrom and the things that we're having today, in the confusion of religion, how do you know whether this is true? You've got to do as the Bereans. The Bereans said, don't let them play you for a chump and for a sucker. You consult the scriptures. They are God's words. They have a revelation about Jesus Christ and the cross and a risen Jesus that no other religion under heaven has. It must have come out of heaven. The word of God is the scripture. The scripture is the word of God. It couldn't be anything less. The Bereans say to you and me in this hodgepodge of 20th century, everything in the name of religion, again you check and double check and we say why what's so important about checking with the scriptures because they would remind you and me also that the scriptures are God's words revealing unto you and me God's standard of right and wrong when Paul and Silas were preaching I imagine when Paul and Silas got to the Christian life and began to tell those Bereans this is the way you live that they were saying to themselves as they searched the scriptures what does God say is the right way to live what does God say is the wrong way to live? I know my young friends today are being told that any standard of right and wrong that you adopt for yourself is all right. As long as you think it's all right, it's fine. You adopt any standard of morality you want. 
You adopt it, and if it means you can get drunk, if it means you can be a dope fiend, if it means that you can go out and throw your life away, and it doesn't mean anything that you can be dishonest, you can be immoral, you can be unjust, as long as you believe it, you are being told that the standard of right and wrong, it varies, and it isn't an absolute standard. But you can rest assured that when Paul and Silas at Bree in the synagogue, they got up and they talked about God's standard of right and wrong, those Breans took their Bibles and they went back to Exodus 20 and they said, what does God say about right and wrong? What is revealed in our scriptures? And Exodus 20, you know, gives the story of God at Mount Sinai. When they gathered at Mount Sinai, the given law, and God says, I am the Lord thy God. And God laid it down, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. That was God's standard. And when they turn to the word of God, when you and I turn, we say, how do I know the scriptures are God's words? Because they have a standard of right and wrong that the world didn't know. And when God revealed it, this is the Magna Carta for right and wrong, and it stands eternally, absolutely certain, and it never changes. What is right today will be right a million years from today, and what is wrong today, as God has given it, will be wrong a million years from today. It doesn't vacillate and it doesn't change. The Word of God gives one standard of absolute right and wrong. The Word of God says when you and I say what's right, and God says what's right is what pleases me. When you and I ask God, God, what's wrong? God says what's wrong is what displeases me. And when we have searched the Scriptures, and we have seen that here is revealed an absolute unchanging, changeless standard of right and wrong, then and only then can you and I have the certainty that our lives in Christ please God and that our lives give us the evidence that we have a living, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we don't have it. If your standard of right and wrong is your own, if my standard of right and wrong is what I think and not on the basis of scriptures, then I have no evidence whatsoever that mine is a living, saving faith. And it means the horror of patient and eternity without any assurance that your faith and mine may be deader than a doornail. The noble Bereans, let me tell you, they had something. They were eager to hear the word, all right. But also, when Paul and Silas came, they thought, we're not swallowing everything hook, line, and sinker that you're saying. I know it's in the name of religion, but we're going to check and double-check on the basis of our scriptures. And they did it because scriptures to them meant God's word. These are God's words that have come out of heaven. These are his words, not the words of men, even though men have written it, and yet by inspiration of God. In this 20th century hodgepodge, it's about time that you and I say, I'm going to listen to the noble Bereans. I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to see that no one's going to pull the wool over my eyes. Whatever is done in the name of religion, religious thinking or religious notions, I'm going to check. And I'm going to double-check on the basis of scriptures because here is God's word. Then you and I will determine this, that there's going to be one standard. There is going to be one basis 
There is going to be absolutely one authority in all that you and I believe and how we live, and that is the eternal word of God. That's what it meant in Berea. One authority. Martin Luther did it in his day. When everyone was questioning what is true, Luther said, I go back to the word of God. This is the one and the only and the infallible authority. When he stood at Worms, he stood there before the world, before the church of his day. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. There is one authority. And you and I have the right to go to the scriptures and find out what does God's word say. This is the standard. This is the one authority. Because these scriptures, they are God's words. And oh, we ought to thank God that in our 20th century, something is happening that I think is amazing. The Holy Spirit is doing something in the 20th century that hasn't happened up till our era. And that is the number of translations of the scriptures that we are seeing, and most of them very fine, putting the scriptures into a language of the 20th century that you and I can understand. I read out of the King James Version here, 1611, the Gospel Epistle I've been taking from the New English Bible, and we have good news for modern man. We have Phillips's translations in Norley, the New Jerusalem Bible put out by the Roman Catholic Church in a very fine translation, by the way. We have the New Paraphrase Bible, the Living Bible. They are all fine. The Holy Spirit, it, it just seems that the Holy Spirit saying, time's about up. I am giving you translations of the Word of God that you can understand it and go and search it and check and double check. Make sure you know what you believe and why you believe it. Make sure you've got the ground of Scripture because time is running out. And we ought to determine then when nobody's going to pull the wool over our eyes, we're going to determine it on the basis of Scripture. We ought to go to the Scriptures and determine to know that the key that unlocks the Scriptures is Jesus Christ. Some read the Word of God, some read the Bible, and they come out of it not knowing what it's all about. We say, what is it? May I put it this way? The Bible is the book that tells the story of Jesus Christ. If it were not for Christ and His coming into the world as your Savior and mine and salvation, then we wouldn't have the Scriptures. The scriptures are the story of Christ. In other words, let me put, it, put on the glasses of Jesus Christ and read your Bibles, and then they will begin to live. Then you and I will see Christ on every page. And then as we read the scriptures and see God gave this word from heaven because he sent his son and he promised him for 4,000 years. And in patience, God overlooked the sins of his people and sent him. To me, when I read scripture and I see this is the story about Jesus Christ. I am amazed at the grace of God and his mercy. I like to think of God as one. I like to call God magnificently obsessed. You've heard me say that in all realms, that God is magnificently crazy in one respect, to save you and me. What he put up with in the 4,000 years of his people in the Old Testament in order to send Christ. Talk about an amazing God of grace and mercy what he put up with and what he was willing to allow them to do and to bring them back in order to send Jesus. Listen, the God of the scriptures is one who is just insane on this. Oh, please let me save you. This is the God of the scriptures. Well, then you and I ought to determine as the noble Brians call to us, don't be a chump. Don't let anybody play you for a sucker. Don't let them pull the wool over your eyes. You check and double check. Then when we've checked and double checked, we ought to... Turn to the scriptures with a will to believe. Let me tell you, the Bereans, they were glad to hear the word of Paul and Silas, but they weren't going to be played for chumps and for suckers. 
they again, they checked and double-checked, but when they checked and double-checked with what Paul and Silas told them, when they checked with the Scripture saying, here is God's word, here is our authority, and they found that what Paul and Silas had said was true, and that Jesus of Nazareth was the promised Messiah, we are told that many of them believed in Berea, and even some Greeks, some who were heathen, who didn't have a Jewish background, who didn't know anything about him, even some illustrious women and men in the higher strata of society in the city of Berea, they embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've wondered why in the nobleness of the Bereans, in the New Testament there's no book that's written by Paul to the Bereans. There are books to other churches, but not to the Bereans. Perhaps he wrote books or letters to them that are lost, but I think we have this joy of knowing this, that the Bereans... They come down, and they've come down through 20 centuries as, oh, just like a, a beautiful rain after parched land or the sun shining after the darkness. What an inspiration the Bereans, that they search the scriptures. Hardly any church of any consequence, but what it has a, a Sunday school class called Berean, and churches called the Berean churches. Why? Because the Bereans, oh, again, they were eager to hear the word of God, but they said, no one's going to make us naive. No one's going to play us for a sucker or for a chump. We are going to check and double check. And then they believe. A will to believe. Friends, listen. Don't let anybody play you for a chump. Don't let anybody play you for being a person who is credulous. But when you have checked and double checked and you have found Jesus Christ, well, then be like the Brians. Let's have a will to believe. Oh, what a difference if we can turn to the scriptures with a will to believe. I had a college professor in my day. I admired him greatly. I almost idolized him. He was in the history and the social, social sciences department. Very brilliant man, and yet a man that was so bitter against the scriptures. A man in his own way that would say, you can't make me believe that God took the piece of the rib of Adam and he made Eve. You can't make me believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. You can't make me believe that Jesus was God, that he was God the Son. Uh, you can't make me believe that on the cross he died for the sins of the world. There was a man educated, to be sure. He was studying for his Ph.D. degree his Ph.D. at Chicago University, and you've got to know what that meant in that day. That was when Maynard Hutchins, who was known as the boy president, was president of Chicago University. And if you got a doctor of philosophy degree from Chicago University, believe you me, you were way up here, and this is what he was studying for. But there was a bitterness against religion. When he left Capitol and went to Chicago, I visited him one day again. Very highly educated man after his Ph.D. And yet, you know, there was something he just, oh, he just couldn't will to believe as he would turn to the scriptures. But several years later, something happened in that man's life. And somehow or other, this man with his Ph.D. from Chicago University, he went back to the scriptures not feeling that he was being a chump and that somebody was pulling the wool over his eyes to check and to double check and this time with a will to believe. And I read what he wrote after he had turned back to the scriptures. 
And oh, what it meant to my heart where he wrote and said, I've gone back to the Bible. I believe that it is no less than the word of God, he said. I believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin. I believe that he was no less than God. I believe that he died for me on the cross. I believe that he physically arose from the dead and that he's coming back. And I put my faith and my trust in him as my Lord and as my Savior. Friends, if you've got a will to believe, what a difference. If this is the word of God, then just to turn like the Bereans and have a, a will to believe, what comfort and what peace as you and I face an eternity and as we face death and as we face a judgment. My college professor said, I found how great was my God. And when we have a will to believe, and we turn to the eternal word, then we can walk the glory road, and it matters not what happens, nothing else matters. We can sing with God's host and with the noble Bereans, O God, how great thou art, how great thou art. Let's be Bereans. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.